This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host Petey Pob and today we're going to be interviewing Scott from the Second Wave podcast. Scott is a 40k Australian ITC player who is the co-TO of the Australian Warhammer 40k ITC 2016 championships which as of the 27th of January will become the largest 40k ITC event in Australia. So kudos to Scott. He also plans on creating an Australian ITC complete with their own top five best of factions. I'll let him explain more in the interview. We also talk about the Australian Community Comp which is Australia's comp system. I don't really know much about it probably because there is a lot of information in the comp and i haven't you know taken the time to sit down and really analyze the australian comp but he goes into more detail and we also talk about the gwfaq the itc vote and how his kind of local group felt about the itc vote and how they voted and we also talk about the australian meta and we get into some lists from good established australian players also adam napier if you're listening to this podcast he is uh one i think he's in the top five in the itc in australia right now and he if he wins the LVO, he will be he will take the ITC championships and actually he might take the ITC championships. It depends on how everyone else does. But he he has a legitimate shot to both win the Australian ITC championship or and also possibly the overall world ITC championship. Adam Napier, I'm gonna keep my eye on you. Anyways, it's a really fun, entertaining interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. And also, I'd like to make a quick announcement. January, we're going to be talking about the LVO meta-analysis, list analysis, and it's going to be with four amazing top 10 ITC players. I'm not going to reveal who they are, but look forward to that in January. Every week, we're going to get on the podcast with a new guest who really knows their stuff, and we're going to basically talk about the what it takes to prepare for an event of this size, and what they're doing to prepare for the meta at the LVO, what they expect to see, and so on and so forth. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening and enjoy the interview. Hello, everyone. Here I am with Scott from the Second Wave Podcast. He is uh, the TO for the Australian Warhammer 40K ITC 2016 Championships, um, which is currently, I think, Scott, the largest ITC event in Australia, 40K ITC event in Australia right now, currently. Yes, it is. It is the current uh, largest Australian uh, ITC formatted event. Right on. Uh, and guys, I, I, I want to hear you guys' opinion on this real quick. Um, should I put interviews at the end of my podcast or should I add them as a separate kind of blog post on the other podcast? Just like hear your thoughts on that real quick. Um, but the, the I, I, Australian Warmer 40K ITC 2016 Championships, it's a mouthful. But it sounds like a really large event. I know you have you hit max capacity at 78 players, and how fast did you hit max capacity at? Um, so it kind of took a bit um, 
to actually hit that maximum capacity. So there's a bit of uh, kerfuffle in the last probably week or so um, with convention and table space um, where there was an issue that the convention thought they ran out of table space and we were only at 55 players. Um, so I was fighting pretty hard to get more tables and then they realized, oh, um, we've actually got more tables than we thought. Uh, so I was able to get from 55, jumped uh, pretty much within probably about three hours of the event entries opening back up, jump up from 55 plays up to 70. And then as that has happened over the past kind of four days, uh, three, four days, I've jumped up to the 78. Right on. And so uh, next year, I hope you guys will get grow, continue to grow and maybe have more players. Yes, yeah, so currently, um, I mean, initially for us, um, the capacity was 96 players um, to be able to play at this event. Um, and so I, I suppose it'd be kind of prevalent to put in some, uh, some stats. Um, so uh, from CanCon in previous years, uh, player attendance has actually been dwindling. Um, so... In 2015, now both of these years I did attend myself, so in 2015 there was 56 players out of a cap of 100, and then uh, 2016, so this year's event had 48 players out of a cap of 100. And so for us to end up hitting 78 players of a 96-player cap is an increase of 62% from the 2016's event, which is really strong to see. Yeah. And so for players who want to attend next year's event, uh, at the CanCon Wargaming Convention, where would you sign up? Um, so currently, uh, as the conventions are organized completely separately, event entries um, for it probably wouldn't be open until August, September the coming year. However, um, if we are going to be running it at CanCon going forward, um, you will be able to find that information on Canberra War, uh, Game Society's website, so CGS for short, uh, so just search that up and it'll be under the CanCon tab on their website when they have that all up and running for uh, CanCon 2018. Okay, and the format is, for the most part, ITC standard, uh, and I know there's a couple people that have talked about uh, Community Comp, and also I know you changed the super heavies and gargantuan creatures role and kind of modified that a little, which is cool because the, the beauty of the ITC is every TO gets to modify the ITC to their kind of meta and, and kind of like what, what they feel is best for their community. And so could you tell me a little bit about the changes you made to the ITC? Yes, sure thing. So I suppose um, with ITC becoming a bit more prevalent um, because we've been very much accumulated to um, comp, in effect, um, where you weren't really facing more than maybe one Imperial Knight or one Wraith Knight in an army um, in community comp events. Um, Having the cap is primarily because, from my perspective, I've perceived that the scene isn't ready to face five Imperial Knight armies, and it's not from a position of the, look, it's just a personal preference for me. Like, personally, um, I've got my own opinions about Super Heavy's Gargantuan Creatures in the standard game. However, from a point in looking to grow the scene, I think it was important from the start to kind of cap the Super Heavy's and Gargantuan Creatures allowed it in tournaments um, and slowly build that up so players are able to go, okay, this is what two Imperial Knights fe- feels like facing, this is what three Imperial Knights for, etc. 
Um, now, there are some events in Australia that go, okay, we'll put allow two, just straight two, no matter what they are. There are some events that will allow completely uncapped, um, and that's fine. Different, As you've said, different TOs can run it the way they want. I just believe that um, having these caps in place um, allow the fact for newer players to come in and not act, um, get completely caught off guard by in a five Imperial Knight army and go, okay, this is fun when they're not actually having a, um, a decent game of it. So okay. I suppose the cap for CanCon, and it's been building up over time um, since the first ITC event I ran in Australia back in the 20... It wasn't... Uh, yeah, it was October last year when I ran the first one in Australia. So that kind of started at 375 um, points, and then I upped it slowly. So now it's at 650 points per model. Um and a cap of 900 points per army. So that kind of allows you to go, okay, cool. You can take some of your larger super heavies, so you can take a shooting Imperial Knight, or you can take some of your more heavier duty Lords of War, but it's kind of, there are some uh, over that 650 points, and I'm like, eh, the scene really isn't ready for it as of yet. Um, as time goes on, that will be increased as well, um, the per model cap, and then over the entire army being 900 points. It allows you to have two shooting Imperial Knights, or you can have two Knights of any version. You can take Double Storm Surge. Um, you can take a Wraith Knight or a Scat Hatch Wraith Knight in that easily. Um, so it still allows some of the more crucial elements for an army to be taken, such as the Double Storm Surge for a Tower Monster Mash list. Okay. But, but yeah, so that's pretty much it. And then um, the other modification I've made is to the missions. And so, I'll just quickly run through it. So we use the base missions for ITC. However, the way we've done, way I've modified it is that I've doubled the mission points available for each. So um, instead of being worth four points, they're worth eight. Um, so I'll just quickly run through. So I've got the simplest one up, which is relic. Uh, so it's eight points if you win, four points if you tie, zero if you lose. And then you modified Maelstrom, which is still the D6 table, your two three-point objectives if you roll up. X, uh, two of hold objectives or two killer units. Uh-huh. Um, but I've actually got it where it's a differential table. So there's you get different points depending on how many points you score between the players. Um, as the Australian scene is a lot more based on battle points for events rather than win-loss. Okay. okay. And then... Okay, go ahead. Yeah. And then your bonus points, uh, I've got... There are two that are worth one point. They're normally your easier ones. And then your harder ones is worth two points. So for the Relic, you've got First Strike and Warlord, which are both worth one, and then Table Quarters is worth two. Um, the missions do come to a total of 20 points in that case, um, just so then it's easy to keep track of over the rounds. So uh, in a five-round tournament, that's a max of 100 battle points. So the differentials in your Maelstrom, your secondary objectives, um, the, the, way, the way I understand it would be if your opponent at the end of the game scored 15 points in Maelstrom and you scored 12 that means your opponent would win the secondary by three. And so if they won primary and then no tertiaries were scored, your opponent would have 11 points. Um, so kind of. So the difference, um, it's actually, so I'll run through the table. It's um, so a zero point difference is a four, four points to each player. A one to two point difference is a five points to three to the winning player. Um, three to four is six to two, five to six, seven to one, and seven plus is an eight to zero. Okay. So okay. I understand it. Yeah. So it's kind of in that way that okay, depending on the the, the degree 
of uh, victory in that sense because when I was first playing the ITC missions in the local scene, a lot of the players were like, oh, this, is, this has been a really close game, but the scores actually really don't show it. And so what I've found with these missions, and I've had plenty of opportunity play testing them myself and having resounding feedback from the community that have played these, um, is that it really does actually show how close the game is. Um, and so the differential tables aren't just on the Maelstrom as well, they're also on the primary, and uh, and they will differ depending on the uh, actual mission in place. So, for example, Emperor's Will has got specific conditions to score the specific different tiers. Um, there'll be ones like uh, your Crusade, which is straight, okay, you win by 3, 6, 9, 12, those type of ones as well. It just it changes depending on the mission, but the Maelstrom one always stays the same differential spacing. Okay, actually, I like that idea. Um, it really adds, because in... in Generic ITC missions, the secondary, the Maelstrom objective, is a kind of a winner-take-all points, right? If you win, you get those four points, even if you won by one point, right? Um, and that's that's kind of cool. It kind of has a certain finality to it. But I do like the idea of maybe only beating my opponent by five points, and so we get that five-to-three split that you mentioned. And yeah. then my opponent might win more tertiaries, like they might win ground control and first strike, and that might that could actually win them the game, right? Because they would have three points, and then let's say neither one of us get Warlord, they would get six points towards their towards their secondary, and then if we tied primary, they would still win because they would yeah. win by one point. Yeah, exactly. And so it really does make you, the missions as a whole. You've got to compete in all those aspects right. rather than going, okay, I'm not going to really worry about the tertiaries. I'm just going to go for win primary. Um, by the three points or however many points you can, and then try to win Maelstrom by one. I like it. And you guys do play 1,850 points over there, right? Yep, so we are playing 1,850 points, and this event is actually different um, to the standard being uh, in the previous years because it is over three days. We are actually running it at eight rounds. Ooh. And is that six rounds with a top eight, or is that eight rounds, no top eight? So... Um, for this event, it's eight rounds with no top eight, so two of the missions will be repeated. Um, at this stage, I have not actually publicly released which of those missions, apart from the fact that at least one of them will be a standard objective scoring one. So it could, it won't be uh, your scouring or your big guns, as they've got your additional points. It'll either be uh, Emperor's Will or Crusade, and then another mission, uh, depending on the meta and everything like that still to be determined at this okay. stage. Uh, and then I do have one question before we go on to community comp, which I have a ton of questions about. I'm sure a lot of, because we obviously we don't play Australian community comp on the West Coast here in yep. the United States. Um, and I've personally had a lot of questions about it. And I know a lot of people have tried comping um, in the United States, kind of like taking things from like the Swedish comp um, mm-hmm. or, or kind of the European comp systems and then implementing them to our system. So, that's that's another, but that's we'll get to that in a little bit. Another question yep. I have is the supremacy suit. Is it allowed at your events? No, it is okay. not. Okay. Do you guys use the ITC uh, ban list for super heavies and gargantuan creatures still? Yes, we do. So we pretty much, apart from the changes that I've discussed with the super heavy gargantuan creature cap and the modified ITC missions, we pretty much copy the exact ITC format. Okay. Okay. That that's good. And then. So the community comp system, um, and then for those of you who don't know, this is kind of my rough understanding of it, 
a while ago, some TOs got together and created an Australian community comp um, where basically you can run those hardcore power cheesy lists, uh, but it kind of costs you points because I guess everything is, like you said, um, done off battle scores and not win-loss record. Um, so I guess it kind of costs you points in your battle scores and depending on your list. And so you kind of have to design your lists uh, with kind of like cheese in mind, but not quite too cheesy because you might lose points. Um, but then again, I might be completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you, you kind of you, you got you kind of got the main gist. Um, so I'm fortunate enough that um, I'm actually I have been previously heavily involved with community comp, not so much at this stage, just because I've been focusing on a lot more ITC stuff. Okay. Um, so pretty much the basic rundown of what a community comp is, is that it's a comp system, as you said. Um, it works on a 20-credit system, and so there will be certain units in your army that will cost you credits to use. And so depending on the tournament, um, there's two different ways that you can apply the the costing of an army. So, for example, I went to uh, Terracon, which was the largest non-ITC formatted ITC event in Australia. It was running Community Comp. Um, it had 84 players. Um, I was running a eight-credit uh, Imperial Fist Battle Company within that. So, where my credits I actually spent was on things like okay. Um, what it was on the uh, command squad, which was a credit on bikes with apothecary. Um, the amount of free vehicles that I had in my list, um, being a battle company. Um, amount of models I had on the table, which that cost. Um, so with it, the documents being updated every kind of three months. Um, at the moment, because there's been so many updates, um, the guys haven't gotten the previous update out. Um, but they are working towards that. And so the way it kind of acts is that it's, it's an external balancing factor. So you, you would play an army um, that would be approximately the same comp score as yours, at least at least that's how it worked at Terracon. Um, and you would go, okay, it should be a relatively even match. So your higher credit armies would play higher credited armies and your lower credited armies would play lower ones um, to that end. And so... Um, however, it, it is changing the goalposts um, in terms of where players win because that's factored in, in the overall tournament score. Um, the way that the credits actually affect your score is that they can either reduce the maximum amount of battle points that you score in an event or they uh, are an external score that you add on to all your other scores. And so a lot of events actually run it where it's an external score added on to your score. So... Uh, so basically you would, at the end of the game, um, if you have, for example, seven credits out of 20 for your list, uh, that would be added as an external score. Like, um, you would, you would maybe add seven points to, or maybe I guess 13. I don't, I don't know. How would you add? I'm just curious. How would you compute that? As a TO so, um, as a TO, it's actually broken down in the community comp document into how many credits, uh, how many tournament points um, okay. each credit level is worth. And so, if adding it as an external score to on top of all your other scores, so a lot of Australian events include painting, sportsmanship, um, all that in your an overall score, um, as a compared to you guys in America, where you guys just generally use your battle points. Um, and your paintings external, your sports is external. Um, so 
whilst I say that the comps and external factor, it is all added together with the rest to get an overall tournament score. And so the comp score actually goes into your overall score rather than affecting each round. Uh, so that's that's the one way it's used. The other way is it stops the maximum amount of battle points you can score per mission. That's applied to every round. Okay. All right. That's cool. I'm looking. Actually, pulled up the community comp page right now, and I'm looking at it. Um, first off, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to get credits. So pretty much, if you're in, if you're building an army, you're pretty much going to get credits at one point if you want to take any of the decent stuff. Yep. So uh, to put it kind of in perspective, the armies that currently, from my knowledge, that aren't really viable. Um, in Community Comp is White Scars Battle Company. That one, you go beyond the 20 credits, so you can't actually run it. Um, there are other armies like War Convocation, which cost a minimum of 12 credits to run it. Um, there are other armies, um, for example, uh, I believe it's the Chaos Space Marine Cabal Star. Running that is pretty expensive as well, so you, with some of these lists, you'll be looking at running into... Um, 12 plus credits um and so with um an event recently called uh the australian team championships it ran a 14 credit cap on all the armies um and so it kind of allowed players to take what they wanted so um, they don't kind of have the restrictions that itc does in stopping uh multiple uh laws of war super heavy gargantuan creatures and uh, super heavy vehicles, sorry, and gargantuan creatures compared to ITC, um, unless they're specific types. So I found that there were lists running double Wraith Knight. Uh, I actually played against one of them. Um, there were lists where they were running three um, Imperial Knights, things like that, because they could do that within the format. Okay. And so, yeah. All right. So, so okay. How... How hard do you think it is for uh, IATC, or for, I guess, for TOs in Australia to integrate the community comp into an ICC event? Um, the, the easiest way to do it is kind of just take the, say you're using the ITC format, and say that you're running the community comp comp system with that. Um, now, the community comp system uh, generally... Uh, is used with the Australian New Zealand FAQ, which does take some rulings from the ITC, does take some rulings from ETC, and a lot of the GJUB rulings um, being incorporated now as both FAQs do. Um, but there are there are some rulings where it is actually on the more powerful side, like is what is at ETC. Um, however, um, going forward in that, it's up really, it doesn't factor in the ITC addendums. So your things like your invisibility nerf, your two plus rerollable save nerfs, stomping in only in close combat uh, with mo the unit you're in combat with, things like that. It does not factor that in. So if you were to try and use community comp with the ITC FAQ, it would dramatically change a lot of the costings. Um, okay. As and so it's something that um, I have personally brought up to the other guys and gone, look, I'd really like to move it over to the ITC FAQ. Um, and unfortunately, that hasn't happened. Um, there is quite... Uh, there are certain loud voices um, <laughs> w within the group. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to name names here. Um, okay. But it's just 
there are some people that have a lot more influence into it as it is mostly their project if they've been a part of it from the start, which right. it's it's understandable they want to have a large voice in that. Um, however, um, going forward in that, a lot of uh, the guys that have come in, because there hasn't been a recent update and there's been a lack of um, cohesion within the team and all that, that um, they're actually... Um, starting to move towards the ITC a lot more because it is a balance. There's that stability within that. Okay. And and I would imagine the same thing applies to the GWFAQ right now as well? Yes. Yeah, so kind of for for the event um, and, and suppose everything in general, with the GW standard FAQ that we're going to use it, um, I have made a ruling that um, if the faction ones do trickle. Um, that's, that's my biggest concern right now. If the faction FAQs trickle out rather than all coming out at once, because um, it, we have got a cutoff for FAQs and updates and all that of the 12th of January for the tournament uh, coming up. And so it's kind of like, okay, if they're trickling, I have to make a call either way. If they all come out before or all come out after, then that's easier to say, no, look, it's right. after the cutoff or it's before the cutoff, so they're in use. Um so yeah, that's that's kind of in the back of my mind, being like, okay, I want GW to hurry up and drop these, or just hold off. Right, GW, if you're listening, release those FAQs before the 12th of January, please, for for these poor Australian states. They already have to deal with giant spiders with mana bars, and <laughs> rocks and heat. You don't have to make them deal with this as well. Yeah. Uh, but but um, moving on to. Uh, so, okay, so I, I feel like I understand the community comp uh, a lot more. Thank you for that. Um, Not a problem. So what's kind of the sweet spot for your credits? Like, I was looking at uh, an article I found online um, from a, the 2000, a 2015 event, the, I believe, the uh, FanCon, uh, yeah, EastCon, sorry, um, EastCon 2015 event, and a lot of the lists are all seven credits out of 20 or kind of nine credits out of 20 kind of hover in that that kind of range is that the sweet spot or or where yeah where do you want to okay so kind of you, you the general sweet spot outlined in the document is between eight to 12 credits and that's where you get a decent power level compared to the, the amount of credits you spent okay um however players will tend to try to get lower scores and use their generalmanship with an army to do the best that they can. So, for example, at Terracon, um, the the list that came first um, was, at the time, it was credited at one credit or three credits after they double-checked the list. Um, but compared to the guy who came second, who was running Eldar, and I actually played uh, the guy who came second, he managed to win all of his games um, and only lose about eight battle points over the course of a five-round event. Um, and get best general and whatnot. Um, he actually had, I believe it was a 10 credit Eldar list. So there, there was quite a massive drop and that's what allowed the, um, the three credit list to actually win was because there was such a difference between the comps that it impacted the score so dramatically. And so you'll often find players are trying to find those loopholes. Players are trying to find those, okay, what, what's going to be good? So the, the three credit list, um, what it was, was is actually uh, Legion of the Damned Army with the um, Cohort Mechanicus, I believe it is, the one where you put the Dominus in with the unit 
two units of robots. Um, okay. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so um, he kind of had that. So he had the hunk, the bunker unit um, of the Castellan robots in there, and then he deep strike all the um, Legion of the Damned in, and you know he had to play a mirror match round two because there was three guys at this event running this exact same list. What? And so it's one of those things where if players find a sweet spot or they find, okay, this is clearly not comped correctly or anything, they can kind of take advantage of that, go, hey, to their mates, go, hey, look at this, look at what I, I, I've effectively found in the break. Um, this isn't what, um, this isn't comped correctly or this is kind of a loophole, and they exploit it. And so that is kind of the one thing that um, kind of is a bit more of a problem for, for newer players coming in with community comp, and, and we kind of experienced this with CanCon uh, 2016, right. um, as it was a community comp event, was that um, I had to kind of step up and go run th- my players through, okay, let's comp your list, what are you wanting to take, and comp them, because it is such a com- convoluted system. So, uh, and it's inherently convoluted because of how convoluted the game is right now. right. right. So, so basically, because because uh, if uh, an army with one credit out of twenty will probably never get paired against an army with twenty credits, right? Because you always kind of get paired with the with the credit level of your army. Uh, it kind of depends on the event. So Terracon specifically, I know that the TO was actively doing it because with my eight credit list, I tended to play either other eight credit lists or depending on. Um, my battle points with where I was at, I would, it would then be I'd play the closest. So I ended up playing the the ten credit Eldar list that I was speaking of um, right. round four because I was um, I think I was sitting on fifty six out of sixty battle points um, at that point. Um, and then the previous day I played a three to five credit I can't remember specifically uh, Dark Angels list with my eight credit battle company because. Both of us had gotten two twenty zero wins. Right. So, so at CanCon, is that what you're doing as well? So CanCon isn't with community comp at all. Uh, being straight ITC, so with CanCon, it's going to be the battle points will determine matchups after uh, round two. The first two rounds are completely random, um, and so that's where I've kind of got um, players can choose to grudge another player, where they go, I've got a score to settle with you. Um, the other player has to accept if they want do want to do the grudge, um, and then we've got another rule called the blood rule, um, which is where um, players from the same team or the same area or players that play on a regular basis can go, I don't particularly want to play, um, get paired up against these players, and I've captured it for because some of them are trying to be um, strategic with it is the correct word. Um, strategic <laughs> like, I don't want to play like, the top five players in the Australian ITC, so I'm just yeah, going to be yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so it's it's kind of one of those things where they're, they're trying to be... Some of them are being strategic, whereas others are like, no, they're in my ITC team, so I don't want to play them yet. Right. In the, in the first two rounds. But if they do get paired up after round two, then there's nothing I can do about it. Because right. they're paired up on the similar battle track. Okay, so that that's fair, uh, and and of course the the whole point of all of this, the whole point of the Australian Community Comp and the 40k ITC and um, people Adepticon and Nova and the ETC, maybe not the ETC, but um, it's all about protecting those middle of the road players. Right. Yeah. It's 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 not about the players, because because like you said, there will always be people who 
strategically kind of place themselves for victory, right? They'll, they'll try to game the system either by creating their own meta, by getting a one or three credit list and kind of beating up on all the other one, three credit lists and hoping you don't pull those like 18 credit grab lists or whatever. Yeah. Um, or, you know, players in ITC who, who take advantage of, uh, the MSU aspect of the missions, you know, basically there'll always be players that kind of strategically place themselves to win. And then there'll be the majority of the players who just kind of want to have fun and they don't want to play five nights um, in Australia, or they don't want to run into invisibility, full strength invisibility or whatever. Right. Yeah. Whatever you say. Okay. So yeah, that's kind of where I've come from as well in terms of the super heavy gargantuan creature cap is to protect the mid 80%. I mean, yeah, the majority of other players that aren't playing on the top tables. Um, so, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> now, uh, moving on to the Australian ITC Awards, which I did mention briefly. Uh, this is basically, you you get you have 300 players participating in the ITC in Australia. And at the end of the year, or at the end of the season, you have uh, top five players, top three clubs, and the top player in each faction and you kind of announce them as the winners um, probably at the end of your 40K Champs event at CanCon. Yeah, that is correct. So uh, I suppose it's, um, yeah, it's it's the first time we're doing it. Um, you know, I kind of thought, hey, I reckon this would be really cool to recognize because some of the players are traveling quite a bit um, to events to get ITC points to do the best they can. We've even got uh, one of our top players, Adam Napier, is actually coming over to the LVO in uh, 27 in coming up, um, and so he's been fighting hard. What's his um, name? Uh, I bl- he's ranked third overall in Australia um, currently. I will just pull it up. He's I know he's in the top 20 or 30 players um, in Australia, uh, not in Australia. Sorry, the uh, in the world. Um, where are we? Okay. But yeah, so it's kind of like we've got track of... I'm trying to track all the players. Um, And so Adam Napier is currently 31st in the world. He's sitting on 538 points with five events under his belt. Uh, Well, all he needs to do is win the LVO, and he'll be the top ITC Australian player and the top player in the world. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) So kind of what what we're doing with the awards is that um, very similar to how the LVOs run, where that stops the season... Um, that's for us, that's the cutoff for the Australian awards, for example. So, uh, with CanCon, that'll factor in. And so I've already, um, spoken with the Best Coast Pairings guys about scores and et cetera and viewing them. Um, so that I've got that information on hand to go, okay, cool. This is who the top five are and all that. But it's actually been really interesting because we've actually got, uh, two of our stronger players in the team. So we've got, um, Jeremy Martino, uh, he's currently our top ranked, um, Australian player sitting on 588 points from Menza Gaming with nine events. Um, he was one of the guys that actually came up to our Sandhammer event recently. Um, he actually also, uh, placed third at Wintercon, um, with a really interesting list, which we'll get into in a little bit as well, because I know you're wanting to discuss a bit of the meta. Um, and then one of our local guys is currently sitting 17th, which is Arun Nicholson, or um, I remember you ac- accidentally pronouncing it as A-Aron. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> no, we, we all had a good laugh over here in Australia, and it's a bit of a bit of a G up to him as well now. So, 
Um, so Arun, um, he he runs a real he runs tower primarily. He's been he's been going really hard at it this season as well. He's sitting five seventy points with eight events under his belt. Um, however, being up there already, he's um he's actually our oh, where is it? I've got it somewhere here. Um, because having them know the rankings is important. He's currently um the top Australian tower player, and he's actually second in the world compared uh just behind Andrew Gonyo. But um Gonyo is leagues in front, sitting on uh where is he? Seventy points ahead, I think. Yeah, so he's yeah. seventy points ahead. So um and Arun's kind of capped out his events at the moment. So um he needs to pretty much win um CanCon to be able to even try and get above Andrew. But even then, if Andrew's going to the LVO, there's, and he goes absolutely brilliantly at the LVO, then, you know, there's kind of the points gone skyrocketing up because the multiplier, it's like, well, four or 500 players on that multiplier is huge. Yes. Uh, yeah, and, and so I have, a, I have another question for you. How does the community feel about um, competing with the LVO in a sense for, because obviously not everyone get, can get a chance to go to the LVO and play in the 4K champs. Um, so how excited are you guys for those regional championships for the ITC? Oh, we are pumped. I, I'm personally really pumped and excited. A lot of our guys are excited. Um, it's been one of those things where I've actually, um, I suggested Best Coast Pairings uh, probably about nine months ago or something like that, even looking forward when they were starting everything up and going, look, regional rankings would be amazing. Uh, we because at that point I was kind of thinking, is ITC getting enough momentum in Australia to do the championship awards? Is it, like, where's this kind of going this season? And so kind of having it ramp up to where it's now 300 players to having 20 to 30 events um, in the season and going, no, it's it's valid to do the awards. Um, and these regional rankings, um, a lot of the guys are pumped because it, I'm personally pumped because it means it's an easy way to track it. Um, <laughs> but uh, being able to check that, it's I've had guys ask me, okay, where am I at in terms of my re- regional rankings? So in Australia, or where am I at in the Australian faction rankings, et cetera, et cetera. So it'll be one of those things where having the regional rankings will really be able to help go, okay, you know, you're sitting 20th out of all the Australian players um, sitting on X number of points. Um, so it, it, it'll, it will be good and it'll be a really good encouragement, um, to us as the Australian scene to continue to have more ITC ranked events, whether that's ITC format, whether that's community comp or whatever that looks like. Okay. And actually, um, real, real quick, for those of you who beat me to it already on the podcast, Aaron is actually only 40 points behind Andrew Gagnon. So he's got a good shot. Oh, he is too. Yeah, he's, he's, got, uh, he's got a pretty good shot. I imagine, I imagine winning CanCon would put him in pretty good position, and then yeah. Aaron, you would have to place really well at the LVO to beat him. Yeah. So just looking at Arun's points, he's sitting on currently. Um, he's maxing out his score um, with three first places at. Uh, RTT events, a first place at a GT, and then fifth place at Wintercon, which is uh, his second major. He did play at Terracon, but didn't get a decent enough placing to actually have that. So if he was to go ahead and win um, at CanCon, it would actually 
more than likely replace his WinCon event and will give him those extra points if he was to win um, all eight rounds and then the modifier on top of that. Yeah, I think actually, I think, and I might be completely wrong on this, but I think a major might replace your second, your GT, if you win another major. I'm not 100% sure, though. I feel yeah. like it does. So you would, anyways, just, you, you know what, Aaron, just win CanCon. Just do it. Yeah. Don't, don't even mess with that. Just win it and then <laughs> and then start sending Andrew Gagno Facebook messages. Start getting in his head. <laughs> yeah. No, everyone's a, a good mate of mine. He's actually um he's one of the sponsors for CanCon as well, so he's helping out with price support there. And he he's just a solid he's a really good player. I've played against him a few times with because uh, I'm primarily a Space Marine player. Um I like to play my White Scars Battle Company. Um and so I've I've been able to play him a few times against um he's act he's running a really off meta tower list. Um and so um at uh Winchcon he did come fifth, but he was running a fast side enclave's CAD with triple Yavara battle suit a single storm surge and a drone net formation with all marker light drones um, and so he's kind of been really going well with the Yavaras um, compared to other people who are going with the Riptide wing. Yeah, um, actually Yavaras are, first off, they're really nasty I played um, at the broadside bash, I played a Tau player with two Yavaras a Riptide wing and a storm surge and they, they are nasty I actually kind of lucky I won. He, he was slow playing me, and I was the guy with the Battle Company and 30 Warp Spiders, um, and we only got through a few turns, I think two turns. Um, we might have finished turn three, like, in a minute, but um, he was playing really slow and methodically, um, which which is, guys, play quicker. Like, if you have mm. if, if you have 15 models and your opponent has 100 and you're playing slower, um, you should definitely pick up the pace. Um, especially yeah. now that we didn't get down to 1,650 points. Um, but anyways, so Yvara's yeah. so actually nasty. On that note, if you mind, I'd just jump in quickly. Uh, Pavel, sorry to cut you off. Sure. Um, that is one thing that is a genuine concern in the Australian scene, is slow play. Um, and, and so something that I've, that over the years has come up and is coming becoming quite prevalent from TOs is what's called a slow play table. Now, this is the way that Australia is combating it, um, is that depending on what turn you, uh, what game turn you end on unnaturally, um, you get a certain amount of points. And when you hit um, eight points, eight of these slow play points, you actually lose 10 of your battle points um, wow. deducted from your score um, to start with the round that you accrued those points. So it actually severely impacts a player. It could change a loss from a, a win from to a loss or a win to a draw, um, because they have lost these points, and it's cumulative. So it can wow. actually really impact their standing, not just in terms of the overall event, but also in the ITC, because I think um, being able to play a game, and for CanCon, our rounds are two and a half hours. Um, I can feasibly get a two and a half hour round game in with the bat- White Scars Battle Company, like that at a tournament level, uh, and make all the decisions that I need to within that time span. Um, but if you... And accruing these points over time, there will be patterns that emerge. So I will notice certain players will be slow playing a lot more than others. Okay. And so it's kind of then on that point where I'll go, okay, um, this play is the main concern, 
these players shouldn't be docked points. Um, and kind of, it, it's kind of a pattern, fi- uh, it finds the pattern of the slower players within the pack of the 78 players, for example, for CanCon, and go, okay, these are my problem players, these are the ones that I need to keep an eye on, these are the ones that I need to be going, hey, you've got 15 minutes left, you're only on turn three, try and get to turn four at least. Um, right. Or, and just try and mitigate the slow play as much as possible effectively. And so that's kind of one way that we've kind of put that, not as a negative incentive, but kind of a way to go, hey, look, this is what's going to happen if you do choose. Right, we have an eye on play. as well. Mm. So, okay, that's exactly. kind of, that's really cool. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind identifying who the slow players are at an event. Um, although one thing I would be worried about is, uh, maybe TO's using it to kind of witch hunt players, um, yep. which, which, you know, you obviously don't want because I've personally found there are very, very few people who, who at the top tables who do, um, kind of, they don't, I don't want to say they slow play. I don't want to, so I don't want to call anyone out. Um, but they do strategically place themselves in positions to win on turn three or turn four eh, instead of, you know, later on in the game. Um, they might intentionally slow play. They might just realize that those top tables, those top games, you have to think more and you have to be a little more methodical with your play. You don't want to rush into decisions because the stakes are a lot higher. Um, so yeah. I do see at the top tables, games will end, will end, um, not naturally more often at the top tables, just, just because of the nature of who you're playing. And there might be a little bit more, there's also a lot more arguments that go on in the top tables. Um, you know, especially a lot more heated ones. Um, but there are consistent slow players at the bottom tables at every event. And those are the guys, you know, getting drunk and having fun and kind of like not really paying attention to the event. Um, so with those guys, do you still dock them battle points just, just to kind of keep that integrity or, or do you just kind of brush them off to the side? Cause if you see one guy, like an orc player who's wahing for five minutes every turn or something, um, and he's consistently play, getting to turn three, but his opponents are having a good time. Like, how do you deal with that? Uh, so I suppose it's kind of it. It depends on the way that they're, they're slow playing. So if they are un, un uh, it, it's a hard one to tackle, Pablo. To be honest, it, it is uh, really hard. <laughs> it, so uh, I suppose the lower table ones aren't that my main concern kind of with the slow play table in saying that because you know they're not really in that competition slot where okay i need to win this game to get to the next round up get those bonus three points for itc um get the the bonus the modifier on top of that it's there's a lot more at stake at the higher tables Mm -hmm. and so you're right in saying that that's where a lot more issues do come up um, however, I think it's kind of, and as I said, when a pattern figures out, so if necessarily, if a certain player, um, is doing it, but they're not necessarily winning, it's like, okay, um, I'll just have a chat going, Hey, how are you going with your games? Are you getting, what turns are you getting up to? And I, I see it on this, I'll have it on their score sheet. So I'll be able to tell, um, when they're getting to, and it's like, okay, um, you know, is, do you think there's any particular reason why? And if they go, oh, as you said, wiring for five minutes, for example, um, it's like, okay, that I get that. That's cool. And I know you like to do that um, and, and completely and do it respectfully and be like, 
However, I and just try and be polite. Necessarily wouldn't dock them because you know the the, the scale is sliding um, in terms of the slow play points. So if they are getting to turn four consistently, um, then they're only getting docked. Uh, they're only getting slow play points of three, three slow play points, um, compared to if they're only getting to turn two or turn three, they're getting eight points at turn two or six points at turn three. And so it kind of speeds that up. So if players are uh, intentionally going, okay, I'm only going to get to turn two, turn three here, it's kind of, this is kind of the incentive to go, but if I want to get higher up and my other games are going to take a bit longer, I really need to finish my earlier games so I don't have those points accrued right. against me. Okay, so so basically, um, good players will will play quickly, um, maybe risk making those mistakes to get to that turn five so they don't get any points taken away from them. So when they get to the top tables, they can afford to play a little slower and maybe have the game end on turn four? Yeah. Okay. Um, now, my next question for you is, uh, does it get really frantic with players playing quick? Because at 1850, I know me personally, if someone told me I had to get to round four I guess if if two of my games, I only had a maximum of two games that had to end on turn four, and every game had to end on turn five. Because if two games end on turn four, that's six points, right? And any other games that go past that go before turn four will dock you points because you'll go over that eight point threshold. Yeah. So, so I would start playing pretty frantically at that point, or maybe yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe because everyone's on the same page and everyone knows they need to get to turn five. Maybe everyone plays quickly. Like, how does how yeah. is the mentality there? So the the kind of mentality is that this slow play table is in the players pack. So all the players that look at the players pack will go, no, this is a condition of the event. This is something I have to play to. This is something I have to know about. I have to keep track of. So it's kind of inadvertently forcing themselves to be on top of getting the game to turn five uh, to get to a natural finish. So if players Normally, if they don't have that incentive, it, it mightn't be in the back of their mind. It's like, okay, let, let's do this methodically. Let's try and get, you know, the best advantageous um, position as possible to do what I need to do. Whereas with the slow play table and this in effect, it's where it'll go, okay, no, I need to make my decisions quickly but methodically. It also, um, you, you good players will do this already, is that you'll be thinking about what you're going to do in your turn whilst your opponent's doing their movement. Right, which is something everyone should be doing anyways. Um, you should really be maximizing your time, you know, uh, when you're playing. If your opponent's doing something that doesn't require your attention or very little of your attention, uh, you just think about what you're going to do on their turn, watch their die rolls, kind of look for key markers in a game, and then, oh, did my opponent fail dangerous strain test there? Okay, I guess I'm going to move there now to cover that objective. Cool. And then that way, when you get to your turn, you kind of have a mental checklist in your head. You could okay... So he shot my scout squad. They're dead. That happened, so I have to move my tactical squad over here. And now I have to move this rhino on that objective to cover that objective because the tactical squad moved. And I have to get move these units into position to shoot, blah, blah, blah. Kind of, you should always be doing that in your head to speed the game along. And I think a lot of players in, in 40K and the 40K community in general, because it's a more casual community, I don't think players instinctively know to do stuff like that. I think the instinct is instead to kind of turn around and like look at your the table next to you and look at the pretty models or maybe go get a beer or I don't I don't know what the it might be different for every person 
Um, yeah. But if you look at a game like Magic the Gathering or, or chess or um, maybe even in the NFL, uh, f- uh, American football, you you kind of you kind of get the feeling that on downtime people are doing other things to give them competitive edge. Like, and the NFL quarterbacks are looking at their previous plays and looking for patterns. And even though the defense is on the field and they're not on the field, they're looking for things to so when they get on the field they can win the game. Right. Same thing in chess. You're looking at patterns. Maybe you're thinking about uh, 20 or 30 turns ahead if you're a grandmaster. Um, and in Magic the Gathering, you're thinking about what your decks, what what are the chances of you getting a specific card or um, what are you going to sideboard in next match or whatever? What what could your opponent possibly have in his hand, judging by the way their actions are? And in every competitive game, poker, there's always something that players are doing or that players learn to do during downtime that I think 40K players don't necessarily do i mean and it's obviously not every player does this and it might be completely wrong maybe the majority of players think about what they're going to do um during their opponent's downtime or during when they have downtime and their opponent is doing something um but the i think the general trend is is that the mentality of the 40k community is more casual and that's why games aren't finishing quicker and i think that's also i think a lot of people agree with me because of the itc vote uh, players want to play at 1,850 points, which shows to me that at 1,850 points, players um, want to play with their big toys and kind of kind of think that, well, I can finish my games in five turns. Everyone else should be able to, right? That, and that, mm. that that might be all completely – that's all complete speculation. I might be 100% wrong. Mm. Um, but on the ITC vote, uh, how did you guys vote – or I guess how did you vote personally – um, with the ITC vote, because obviously uh, the ITC vote has a huge, uh, it has a huge impact on your event, right? Because yeah. it's so close, and then you have to plan for it. And um, anyway, so how how did you vote on that? And how did you kind of hope the ITC vote would go, or just kind of your opinions on it? Yeah, so I suppose um, kind of going methodically, I, I've got it pulled up. Um, so being able to look out sir on stomps, I voted yes. Uh, my co-TO for the event voted no. Okay. Uh, my kind of my position on this one is like okay, um, the fact that with GW one grenade per unit, um, with sergeants taking melter bombs um, on tactical squads, for example, um, other key characters and such, I think it's important to have this because for and again, it's for your mid-range plays, not necessarily top tier. And not necessarily your bottom, it's your mid-range that I was thinking about when I made this choice, was that um, if I can have an opportunity to look out so my sergeant that has a melter bomb that strikes at initiative one same time as stomps um, and potentially survive to do something next turn, um, then that's beneficial because then it gives the player a sense of that, okay, I'm, I can actually do something here rather than have my unit go, okay, cool, I'm stuck in close combat, my crack grenades are going to do nothing, uh, I only get one of them, um, and so it's either you fall back out of combat because our weapons are useless, because it's a walk-up front armor 13, um, or you're able to go, no, I've got my sergeant with a melter bomb, he's not dead yet, I've still got six other guys around him that I can look out, so two on a four-up. Sure, it's a four-up, but it's better than nothing. That's true. Um, and so that was kind of my views on that one. Um the ITC blast weapons ruling, so I actually voted uh, uh, no on this one. So I thought 
there's a lot of prevalence in the game in terms of last. So, for example, we were just discussing Arun's use of Yuvaris. Um, and there are other weapons like quad guns, thunderfire cannons, uh, demolisher cannons, etc., that fire high strength and AP blasts, or multiple blasts. So, your barrage ones you don't have to really worry about because they're always hitting the top level only. But your other blasts, like the demolisher cannon, means that tables that don't necessarily have a lot of cover become a lot more of a risk depending the army you're playing against. Um, and so that's where I voted no. I, I voted no. Um, I can't remember what my co-TO voted on this one. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of the same thing again. Like the tables, you don't know what... Yeah. yeah. It, it's You're not sure what terrain's going to be like in an event. Um, a lot of the time for our Australian events, we, we're not as fortunate as what some of you guys are, for example, with the LVO, where you guys have this massive warehouse of terrain, whereas <laughs> where um, we're actually I, I'm quite reliant on people being able to help provide terrain, for example. I see. Um, and so that's kind of where I was coming from as well. Um, the Colexus being available for every faction, I voted yes for that one. Um, personally, I have played Psychic Death Stars, so uh, last year at Wintercon, I played a uh, Centurion Death Star, um, came 10th came overall um, uh, with that one, but it was just one of those things where Psychic Powers and Psychic Death Stars, Invisibility, all that was quite prevalent because it wasn't a community comp or ITC event, it was just the TO's own right. format. Okay. Uh, um, then more fortifications... I personally was not fussed about this one. Um, I voted a yes, um, and so did my co-TO. Um, at least I think I voted yes. I can't remember. Um, I've had an absolute nightmare of a week with Boxing Day sales and retail guys, so I'm trying to remember as best I can here. Um, however, if it did go through, I did vote for two. Yeah, I think, uh, I I think three's a lot. Three, three is kind of silly. <laughs> yeah, so one of our local guys... Um, he actually previously has run the uh, the Tidewall Gunfort uh, formation, so that's the three gun rigs, uh-huh. which is actually pretty good, but uh, he hasn't really um, used that recently, though. Um, then getting on to the 2017 season questions, you've got um, the three detachments. That was, yeah, we've tried that um, in Australia, having unlimited detachments. Uh, community comp's gone to four with theirs. Uh, I think three's the sweet spot. Um, three is perfect because you don't want to be overwhelming just single characters and just shoeboxing or your characters that you want for an Imperial Death Star, for example, into one thing. Okay, I've got two Space Wolf Thundercav characters from Company of the Great Wolf. I've got this, I've got that. Sweet, gate over with Drago, and then just Voltron out. Um, it kind of forces players to choose what they want to take within that Death Star, for example. Yeah. Um, the incorporation of Nova missions. Um, again, this one I wasn't really fussed about. I haven't had too much of a look at uh, Nova missions, so that one wasn't was kind of didn't really um, phase me either way. Um, can't remember which way I voted on it either. Um, right, but and the interest. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off there, but no, the good. interesting thing about the Nova missions, or specifically. Um, that ITC vote is it's not just Nova missions. Um, we just use those kind of because they're a there's kind of an East Coast West Coast dichotomy in the US 40k scene I've seen. Um, and Nova 
traditionally people have told uh, me and kind of like the general, uh, I guess, saying is that Nova have better missions, but um, the ITC has better comp. And this is this this is just other some people's opinions that I've heard often. Um, basically, the the reason why the Nova missions were mentioned there was because they're one of the more common popular Nova mission or missions that people can relate to that are so different from the ITC missions. Um, but I would like to see personally um, Renegade the Renegade Open. I'd like to see the Renegade Open missions incorporated into the ITC. The Australian mission sounds pretty cool. Um, basically, I, I just like to see just a little shake up with the ITC missions. And obviously, the yeah. community agreed. Yeah. Which is fair enough, and I mean, because of your player base that the majority of the ITC guys are in the US, um, they do carry a bit more um, say in and have a bit more knowledge in terms of that kind of mission set as well, because over here we generally, we're either using the base ITC, the modified ITC, or we're using uh, the ETC formatted missions where it's straight Eternal War, a straight Book Maelstrom mission, and then your tertiaries. Um, is the format of those ones. So it's it's those three different types. And so there's not this massive variety like what you guys have with Nova, with Renegade Open, um, with ITC, and whatever missions are run at Adepticon, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the Titan-class vehicles, that was a definite no from me. <laughs> um, with my uh, And my co-TO agrees. It, 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 this is where my personal opinion comes up. I've... I've kind of always had a bit of an issue with super heavies or gargantuan creatures in the standard game. Right. Um, not from kind of a point of where, okay, cool, you can, like, they're a big thing. It's more uh, players using them and exploiting them to such a way that it's like, okay, I'm going to threat saturate. Um, so I suppose kind of an example from this is that when Imperial Knights first came out um, at Wintercon 2014, there was 28 players. The The top player... Um, that came first was running five Imperial Knights. Um, and I imagine and that so, was the sour taste in everyone's mouth. Yeah, so the guy who played him round five actually got up the TO and not what really wasn't happy about it. Um, and so the TO the following year changed it to no super heavies, no gargantuan creatures allowed, and that then had the reverse. So that was 2015 where the Scent Stars were there, Psychic Death Stars, so all that was quite prevalent again. And Man, so it's kind of win. like, yeah. Um, so, and again, I'm happy for people to run that. It's just my personal opinion. I don't particularly like playing that way or, um, okay. I can, I can hack playing against them. Um, in my battle company, I factored that in into, um, having two drop pod, uh, with melter gun, combi melter tax squads in there that I'm able to drop in first turn so that I'm able to deal with one Imperial Knight and then I've got enough melter and grab everywhere else to deal with more as they come at me. Um, and, and so it's kind of, and that's where the cap comes in, so the players get to used to that. Um, but anyway, continuing on, um, staying at 1850 points, I did vote yes, stay at 1850. That's what? because... You are Australians. <laughs> personally, I, I agree. I, I do like my points. However, oh, yeah. the, the next vote, I did go 1750 because that actually was the tournament standard in Australia back in 6th edition. Oh. So we kind of jumped up to 1850 to come in line with internationally. Um, Breaking my heart, Scott. <laughs> but generally, and, and we've talked about slow play and all that, generally a lot of our players can actually get a game done in two and a half hours 
1850 points. So it's, it's not something that's a, of a large concern in the Australian scene as a whole. I mean, that makes sense. You know, if you can fight off giant spiders and punch kangaroos in the face, you can finish five turns in Australia. Feel, I feel like, I feel like you guys are geared for that kind of hardship. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next one being Death from the Skies. So this one, I actually voted for yes. I, I would allow it in. Um, I'm not really fussed on it personally. My co-TO is the same. He, he wants to see it in. Um, so he voted yes as well. Um, however, the way I voted um, was same with my co-TO. We both voted for only the data states and the formations. I, and where my main issue with it is the court attachment that is minus two to your reserves, it actually is quite hamstringing. Um, yeah, it can be. It can be pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of one of those things like, mm, don't really like that. So the data slates and formations only was like, if it does get through, that's, I'm happy with that. And so I, that's where I placed my vote. Um, and kind of, yeah, so that, that's kind of the run through of the ITC vote. Um, and you know, kind of, I was expect that the way that it went was kind of as I expected. Um, Death Rhythm Skies getting voted no again, Titans not being allowed in, um, going, down in points was up in the air for me. I was like, eh, not really fussed either way. Um, the Titan class was going to be a definite no from the way I saw it. Um, yeah. And, and so it's all these different things where I think players, when they come to this vote, as has been said in the past, they're, they're voting for their fellow player, but they're also voting with stability in mind. And I think that's the winning factor of the ITC. And that's why a lot of our states are now changing from being primarily using community comp to ITC. For example, New South Wales has done that recently where um, just because it's easier for newer players to get into, but it's also a stable format that only changes once a year. Right. And, and, the hard, the the tough thing about community comp is is I think having to keep up with with the release schedule and and kind of like because the meta is right especially right now the meta is is everywhere and we'll actually um we're running a little long um so we'll go yeah. into kind of the Australian meta real briefly right after this guys um but but yeah the the meta is constantly shifting and I imagine that's really tough for any comp system who any guys who want to keep up with all the comps and all the powerful combinations. Like I imagine when Gene Steeler Colt Codex hit, it was, it was like, Oh my God, we got to go in here. We have to play test or we have to watch kind of see what's good. What's not good. What if we miss something and then credit it accordingly. And then boom, uh, GWFEQ is going to get hit released in two months. And you're like, Oh, well now I have to do this. And it's, it's, it, I imagine it's really hard. Yeah, it, it is from, uh, and previously for me, um, what I've kind of stepped into with community comp, I did a lot of the Imperial Armor stuff because that was actually a lot more stable. Yeah. Um, because it's like, okay, these are pretty much all published. They do a book once every two years. If that, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay, I can just get the costings done base. And then if FAQs come out that changes certain things, I can adjust them accordingly. It's not that hard to, and there's a lot less stuff as well. Yeah, and people might people might might be more uh, forward or more towards uh, more for comping Forge World, um, just because Forge World has that stigma. Right. Yeah, I, I suppose over here we, we're kind of depending on the state you're in will depend on the views on Forge World ACT, we, where I'm based in Canberra. We're very for Forge World. 
uh, New South Wales is for Forge World, Victoria, South Australia are quite against it. Um, so it just depends on the states that you're in and um, the, the majority of the player base there. Okay. And so, yeah. All right. So uh, real quick, Scott, um, we don't have a ton of time, but what are some lists that you would find in the Australian meta, maybe at the 40K ITC 2016 Championships um, of Australia? What are some lists that we would see that, or you would see that U.S. players might not see at all? Like basically, what is, I know Adam Napier is running, um, what, what is, like, what would Adam Napier run that no one in the U.S. would know? Um, so he's kind of hinted, but I, I'm kind of and trepidous about his hinting. So he's hinted at Gene Steeler Colts. There's a few players that are transitioning to Gene Steeler Colts. Um, however, previously for Terracon, uh, he did hint he was running uh, a Nurgle um, Tower Force, but then he changed it last minute to his Space Marine. So he's known to be a bit um, misleading with what he's taking. So he could be running... He could be running uh, Gene Sealer Colts, or he could be running White Scars Battle Company, uh, considering he is currently the top Australian ITC, uh, top Australian Space Marine player. I would not be surprised if he doesn't go with his tried and true Space Marines. Um, but if he is working on a Gene Sealer Colt list, then he, um, yeah, then that might be something. So it's one of those two lists for him. Um, a couple of the more top guys, so Jeremy Martino, um, at this point, I know he's running, uh, he, he's been saying he's running Gene Steeler Colt as well. Um, you know, there's a few different lists that we're running into. Um, Ian Andrews is actually, so the top Cal Space Marine player ranked in the world at the moment is actually an Australian player. Um, and from seeing him on tables, I haven't played against him myself, um, that he's running a Cabal Star as expected, but not 20 Hounds. Uh, from what I've seen, he's also running two Renegade Knights with it. Interesting. Okay. So he's not not going the full um, psychic death star on that, and then one more which I actually played against is um, Sean Hollingsworth. So he's um, at Santam. I played against him with my White Scars Battle Company. However, this is a really off-meta uh, Great Knight list. So he's second ranked in the world for Great Knights, top ranked Australian player. However, he's running a double. He was running a double Nemesis Strike Force with four close combat Dread Knights with personal teleporters, and a Tau optimized Stealth Cadre with three Ghost Kills. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Great Knights um, Tau. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a very off-meta, off-kilter list, and he came second at uh, Santammer as well. Um, so it's, it was one list that actually did really catch people out because of the optimized stealth card driven going, nah, you can't kill me. And then the Dread Knights being really fast to get into close combat. Wow. No, that sounds really cool. Um, yeah, they, those, so those lists, they, they do sound, uh, ITC kind of driven or, um, uh, ITC influenced, but they do also sound different. And I, I'd be curious to see what Adam Napier is. I'm going to have to keep an eye on him. What he run, what he's running, bringing the LVO, and then um, is he the only player in the top five that's going to go to the LVO, or is anyone else I need to keep an eye on? So as of this year, uh, yes, uh, he's the only player that I know of in the top five um, that is going to LVO. Um, currently, myself, uh, Arun Nicholson, and a few other guys are talking about coming over to LVO 2018. I'm definitely coming. Um, it's for me. It's a present to myself for finishing uni, finishing my degree. Um, so I, yeah, I'll be, uh, working hard towards that next year. I'll be, um, yeah, I've, I've already started, um, 
prepping my ITC uh, battle company and working on that to uh, really go well, because uh, I... Uh, I'm going to kind of prelude this, but I, uh, when I come over to the LVO, I kind of want to be a bit of a snake in the grass, um, be <laughs> a hidden threat, um, and show you, uh, show the Americans how us Aussies play 40k. Um, nice. It's, it's kind of what I want to do. Um, but yeah, no, it, it should be good. Um, we should have a decent contingent, um, at this stage coming over to 2018 as well. I know there's probably about 20 to 30 Aussies coming over to play in the LVO champs. Um, at this stage, and yeah, so with looks of it being a 400 to 500 player event, it's huge for the ITC rankings, like that, yeah, it can change someone's score like that um, if yeah, they Adam, win. Adam, and of winning four, four or five games with LVO would probably win them the Australian ITC, maybe, I don't know. It really, yeah. depends, on, I, it really depends on how um, CanCon, the CanCon champs go. Mm, it does, it does. All right, Scott. Well, uh, that's pretty much all the time we have today for your interview. Thank you for doing this for us. And if you guys want to check out Scott at the Second Wave Podcast, uh, yep. and also stay tuned to Frontline Gaming, uh, we're going to go over CanCon, the uh, results for CanCon, probably on a Chapter Tactics episode. I don't know if I'm going to get Scott on again or if I'm going to make it a blog post, um, but definitely stay tuned on FrontlineGaming.org because – the CanCon champs is going to have a pretty, I don't know, a huge impact. There's going to be some players that are definitely, it might bump up, especially if a player wins it, um, but that might have an effect on the ITC and some of the faction rankings. So definitely keep an eye on that. And Scott, thank you for coming in. Is there anything else you wanted to add in or plug before we take off? Yeah. So I suppose, thank you very much for having me on Pablo. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I mean, this is the second time I'm speaking to one of the Frontline Gaming guys. I had Frankie, I uh, spoke with Frankie on my podcast, for my podcast a while back. Um, so for those of you who are wanting to kind of keep a bit more tabs on the Australian scene, the Australian meta, and the Australian tournament scene, uh, you can check out uh, the Second Wave podcast, which is my podcast, as Pablo has said. Um, you can find us um, at thesecondwavepodcast.com. Um, we've got all our episodes. Uh, whenever I run an event, I tend to do a TO report article as well, just how the event went, the, the breakdown of the meta, um, who got what awards and such. Um, and also, um, you can check us out on iTunes uh, under the Second Wave Warhammer 40K podcast on there. Uh, pretty much, I think we've got about 40 of our episodes up on iTunes, so our previous 40. Um, we are on a bit of a break because I'm the main uh, head TO for the Australian ITC champs. However, we would try and get another episode out um, for beforehand and definitely one afterwards. Um, but yeah, apart from that, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Pablo. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thank you guys for listening. Have a good one.